This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. We're going to be in Jeremiah 36 tonight, and I'd like to encourage you to turn there in your Bibles. Jeremiah 36. In the early summer of AD 79, the inhabitants of the Roman city of Pompeii had no idea that the name of their city would soon be going down in history. They experienced some earth tremors that summer, uh, but no one thought much about it. After all, they had survived and were rebuilding from a much bigger earthquake that had happened 16 years ago. And uh, as they made additional repairs to parts of the city that had been damaged by those most recent tremors, more or less, they went about their daily lives. They lived near a volcano, but they probably didn't know that because Mount Vesuvius hadn't erupted in centuries. So they thought nothing of the warning rumblings that shook their city. August 24th dawned, and by the time the day was over, the city was buried, and its residents, all except those who fled most quickly, were killed. It's a familiar story, but it is sad to know that the people of Pompeii did have warnings. Scientists now know that the seismic activity like what preceded the eruption of Vesuvius is indicative of volcanic activity, but the Roman residents of Pompeii did not heed those warnings, likely because they didn't understand that's what it meant. The signs were there, but they had no eyes to see them. And history is full of examples of warnings that went unheeded. Either out of ignorance, out of spite, or out of just plain laziness. And as we think of Jeremiah, we know that his messages are full of warnings. Warnings of impending attack, warnings of imprisonment, of exile, and over and over he warns the people of God that uh, the people that God's judgment is going to fall. But how did they respond? That's what we're going to consider tonight. Jeremiah 36 gives us a vivid and representative story of the prevailing attitudes towards Jeremiah's preaching. Now the events recorded in Jeremiah 36 take place in the 4th and mostly the 5th years of the reign of King Jehoiakim. And it is highly satisfying for me that we can place this very accurately on the timeline. Alright, up to this time we've had to guess. Tonight we know, okay? This is where Jeremiah 36 takes place on the timeline of Jeremiah's life. But it also helps us to know that because it helps us with the context. Uh, King Josiah is dead. Three months after his death, his son Jehoiakim takes the throne after the incredibly short reign of his brother Jehoahaz. And Jehoiakim, according to 2 Kings 23, did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord according to all that his fathers had done. So he didn't follow the example of his father, Josiah. He followed the example of his fathers, his ancestors, so many of whom had cared nothing about following the Lord. And he's the one who's king as we come now to Jeremiah 36. Another piece of information that might help us think about the political and cultural climate 
at the time of Jeremiah 36 actually comes from the book of Daniel. There in chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, the Bible tells us, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, came Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, unto Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with part of the vessels of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and he brought the vessels into the treasure house of his God. So, when chapter 36 of Jeremiah rolls around, Babylon is clearly a threat. They have not yet completely conquered the land of Judah, but Nebuchadnezzar is making it very clear that Babylon is the strongest nation around. And so that's going to be something, that threat is certainly going to have drawn the attention of King Jehoiakim and the people of Judah. And so that's the things that they're thinking about, that's the things they're concerned about as a nation, that's the backdrop for what happens in Jeremiah 36. The chapter begins with a divine charge. In verse 1, the Bible says, And it came to pass in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, that this word came unto Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Take thee a roll of a book, and write therein all the words that I have spoken unto thee against Israel, and against Judah, and against all the nations, from the day I spake unto thee, from the days of Josiah, even unto this day. It may be that the house of Judah will hear all the evil which I purpose to do unto them, that they may return every man from his evil way, that I may forgive their iniquity and their sin. So, this may well be the first time that Jeremiah is putting pen to paper in his ministry. Um, he has been ministering now for over 20 years, and now God is calling him to write his sermons down. Uh, he's to record and present this collection of prophecies to the people. And we see that he obeys. He sets uh, to work to follow God's directive. And as he does, we, fit, we meet a fellow named Baruch. Verse 4 tells us, Then Jeremiah called Baruch the son of Neriah, and Baruch wrote from the mouth of Jer Jeremiah all the words of the Lord which he had spoken unto him upon a roll of a book. And Jeremiah commanded Baruch, saying, I am shut up. I cannot go into the house of the Lord. Therefore go thou, and read in the roll which thou hast written from my mouth the words of the Lord in the ears of the people in the Lord's house upon the fasting day. And also thou shalt read them in the ears of all Judah that come out of their cities. It may be they will present their supplication before the Lord and will return everyone from his evil way. For great is the anger and the fury that the Lord hath pronounced against this people. And Baruch the son of Neriah did according to all that Jeremiah the prophet commanded him, reading in the book the words of the Lord in the Lord's house. So Jeremiah dictates to Baruch the words for the book. Now we don't know much about this man Baruch, but he served Jeremiah faithfully. He ended up sharing in Jeremiah's ministry as well as in some of the troubles that Jeremiah faced, as we'll see even later in this chapter. And we'll, we'll see what God has to say about this man Baruch later on in the, in the lesson tonight. But he ends up not only copying these words down. Baruch is a scribe. So the work of, of taking things down as somebody dictates, that's, that's something he's completely familiar with, comfortable with. But he ends up not just taking it down, he 
um, because for some reason Jeremiah was not able to go up to the temple to read this book himself or to prophesy himself. Uh, the, the reason is not given here, but uh, probably it's because after his faithful preaching ministry, he's been banned from doing that by King Jehoiakim. Uh, most likely that's what's happening. Uh, Jeremiah is not imprisoned or anything at this point, uh, but he is not on good terms with the king either. The king is not very happy with what Jeremiah is doing. And so he's not allowed to go up to the temple, but he still finds a way to obey the Lord. He sends the scribe. Baruch was not the author of the book, but he ends up being the, the narrator of the audio book, if you will. All right, He's the one reading it aloud to the people. And we don't know how long this book was. But presumably it was pretty long for a couple reasons. One, it included a summary of Jeremiah's preaching up to this point. Even if it was all condensed, that's still a lot of material. And also, it looks like the work of, of taking it all down took a year or more. Because when the process begins, it's the fourth year of Jehoiakim's reign, and by the time it's being read, we're into the fifth year of Jehoiakim's reign. And let's be honest, writing a book in a year is no joke. So kudos to, to Jeremiah and Baruch for getting that done. Um, but this is, this is quite an undertaking, and this is a, a, a long scroll that we're talking about. And, but, but we see as they're preparing this, as they're, they're working towards making this happen, as Baruch is going to read the scroll, there is a glimmer of hope because we see some things going on in the nation that cause them to think that maybe the people are moving towards repentance. Uh, verse 9 tells us, And it came to pass in the fifth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, in the ninth month, that they proclaimed a fast before the Lord to all the people in Jerusalem and to all the people that came from the cities of Judah unto Jerusalem. So it seems that something might be happening here spiritually. No doubt they've been inspired by the increasing threat of Babylon, but the people are taking part in a day of fasting. It's not really clear exactly who has called this day of fasting, but this is something the people are taking part in, and not even just the inhabitants of Jerusalem. It talks about people coming from all over Judah to share in this, to, to together fast before the Lord about what's going on in their nation. And this seems like a perfect opportunity for Jeremiah and Baruch. Uh, not only will the people be spiritually minded, uh, they're considering the very real threat of Babylon, and there are people gathering from all over Judah, and maybe this is the great turn back to God that Jeremiah has been looking for. And I can only imagine the excitement that Jeremiah and Baruch have. Maybe this is going to be it. Maybe this is going to be when the nation turns around and there's revival and, and, and they turn back to God. Perhaps as God's message comes to people who are experiencing this kind of pressure and who are joining in this day of fasting, it'll cause a revival of devotion to God. And with that hope, we find the first reading of this scroll. Verse 10, Then read Baruch in the book the words of Jeremiah in the house of the Lord. 
in the chamber of Gemariah the son of Shaphan the scribe, in the higher court, at the entry of the new gate of the Lord's house, in the ears of all the people. When Micaiah, the son of Gemariah, the son of Shaphan, had heard out of the book all the words of the Lord, then he went down into the king's house, into the scribe's chamber. And lo, all the princes sat there, even Elishama the scribe, and Deliah the son of Shemaiah, and Elnathan the son of Akbor, and Gemariah the son of Shaphan, and Zedekiah the son of Hananiah, and all the princes. Then Micaiah declared unto them all the words that he had heard when Baruch read the book in the ears of the people. Now I can, I, maybe, I'm, maybe sometimes I carry my imagination too far, but I like to picture Baruch here as he heads up to the temple. Um, and he's unaccustomed, most likely, to public speaking, and he's, I can just imagine him trying to imitate the passionate boldness of Jeremiah as he reads from the book. And there he is, he's reading before all the people, and he at least gets one man's attention. This guy named Micaiah. Now, do you remember the name Shaphan? Shaphan was mentioned in this passage. Does that name ring a bell at all? Well, going back to, and, and we keep going back to this over and over again through this study, but when they discovered the book of the law in the temple, it was discovered, of course, by the high priest Hilkiah, but the one who brought the news to, the, to King Josiah was Shaphan the scribe. Micaiah is his grandson. And so Micaiah's around now. He's working in the palace, much like his father. His father's working there as well, and much like his grandfather did. And he hears... Baruch sharing this message and so he goes to tell his dad about it and to tell the other advisors and, and princes about what he's heard and he rehearses the message to them and they're interested we're, we're not told why exactly but it seems like they are taking Jeremiah's message seriously they think you know this sounds like a message that the king needs to hear uh, we need to take this into account and so we find there's not just a first reading, but then there's a second reading of this book. Verse 14, Therefore all the princes sent Jehudai, the son of Nethaniah, the son of Shelemiah, the son of Cushai, unto Baruch, saying, Take in thine hand the roll wherein thou hast read in the ears of the people, and come. So Baruch, the son of Neriah, took the roll in his hand and came unto them. And they said unto him, Sit down now and read it in our ears. So Baruch read it in their ears. Now it came to pass, when they had heard all the words, they were afraid, both one and other, and said unto Baruch, We will surely tell the king of all these words. And they asked Baruch, saying, Tell us now, how didst thou write all these words at his mouth? Then Baruch answered them, He pronounced all these words unto me with his mouth, and I wrote them with ink in the book. Then said the princes unto Baruch, Go, hide thee, thou and Jeremiah, and let no man know where ye be. And they went into the king, into the court, but they laid up the roll in the chamber of Elishama the scribe and told all the words in the ears of the king. So, again, you can imagine Baruch. He's out here, he's reading, and this guy, Jehudai, shows up and he says, take the roll and come with me. Okay? And he goes with him. And here are these princes all around. And they say, sit down and read the roll to us. Okay? So he reads the roll. And as he does that, they realize, wow, the king needs to hear about this. This is serious. This is important. And so they say, give us the book. You go and hide with Jeremiah, and we're going to go and tell the king. 
This is a bit of a nerve-wracking situation, but it's exciting. Baruch runs back to Jeremiah, and surely they're wondering, how is this all going to play out? And so we come then to the third reading of the book in verse 21. So the king sent Jehudai to fetch the roll, and he took it out of Elishama the scribe's chamber. And Jehudai read it in the ears of the king and in the ears of all the princes which stood beside the king. So they've told the king about it. He sends Jehudai off to get the book and read it. All the princes are gathered around. The king is seated next to the fire as Jehudai begins to read. And we quickly find the shocking response to the message. Verse 22. Now the king sat in the winter house in the ninth month, and there was a fire on the hearth burning before him. And it came to pass that when Jehudai had read three or four leaves, he took it with the penknife and cast, I'm sorry, he cut it with the penknife and cast it into the fire that was on the hearth until all the roll was consumed in the fire that was on the hearth. Yet they were not afraid, nor rent their garments, neither the king nor any of the <coughs> servants that heard all these words. So the first part of the response we see here is indifference. I can just see Jehoiakim, he's sitting back on his throne. Jehudai is reading. He says, give that to me. You think about the slow deliberateness of someone taking a knife and cutting the scroll up and then throwing it into the fire. I think it smacks more of someone who is bored and just doesn't care than someone who is hot with anger. And what of all the princes who are standing around? None of them, it says, were afraid or rent their garments. Much different from the reaction of King Josiah 17 years earlier when God's word was read to him. We do find, however, that some did react with concern in verse 25. Nevertheless, Elnathan and Deliah and Gemariah had made intercession to the king that he would not burn the roll, but he would not hear them. Three of the men were concerned by the king's actions. It's interesting to me because when Baruch read the, the scroll to them the first time, it says that they were afraid. They're concerned about this. They're inspired to fear for God. But then when it's read in the king's presence and they're watching how the king's responding, it says that none of them were afraid. Here we, show, we see these guys showing some concern. They make pleas to him, presumably even as he cuts stri strips off the roll, that he would save the book from the fire, but he ignores them. And sadly, their fear of man, it seems, was greater than their fear of God. And in the king's presence... As they watch the actions of the indifferent king, their concerns are swallowed up by mirroring the king's attitude about this. And we can go on to see that Jehoiakim did more than just burn the message. He also went after the messengers. Verse 26, But the king commanded Jeremiel the son of Hamalek, and Sariah the son of Azrael, and Shelemiah the son of Abdeel, to take Baruch the scribe and Jeremiah the prophet, but the Lord hid them. We'll continue to find that King Jehoiakim did not take kindly to prophets. He was not interested in being condemned by God's word, and he was ready to destroy those who would proclaim it. 
And we see here, he's not just going after Jeremiah. Jeremiah is the source of these messages, but he's also going after Baruch. It was not enough for him to show his disdain for the message. He wanted everyone connected with the message out of the way. It is interesting to me that Jehoiakim was willing to have a day of fasting to make a show of pleading for God's favor and deliverance from Babylon, but he was unwilling to actually hear from God. And I think that shows us that unregenerate people can be comfortable with the trappings of religion, even with shows of devotion to God, but as soon as the power of God's word is brought to bear on their lives, they get really uncomfortable and they get really defensive. Just because somebody is comfortable with religion doesn't mean they're saved. But as soon as you bring God's word to bear on somebody's life, that shows where they're at spiritually. Even as Jehoiakim goes after Jeremiah and Baruch, though, we see God's mercy. God hides Jeremiah and Baruch from the vengeful king. But they don't just go into hiding. Instead, we find that Jeremiah's resolve is unshaken. Uh, Jeremiah has been resisted once again. This is not the first time his message has been rejected, but he is not about to back down. We find his persistence, beginning of verse 27, Then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah after that the king had burned the roll, and the words which Baruch wrote at the mouth of Jeremiah, saying, Take thee again another roll, and write in it all the former words that were in the first roll, which Jehoiakim the king of Judah hath burned. And then verse 32 tells us, Then took Jeremiah another roll, and gave it to Baruch the scribe, the son of Neriah, who wrote therein from the mouth of Jeremiah all the words of the book which, Jeremiah, which Jehoiakim king of Judah had burned in the fire, and there were added besides unto them many like words. So God says, write it all down again. Now, remember, it seems this was a project that took something like a year or more to complete the first time. And it was consumed in a matter of minutes. And God says, do it again. And Jeremiah and Baruch go back at it. And they even add many like words to the book. So the second edition is an expanded edition. All right? They don't just do it again. They do it again plus more. They are not backing down. They are not giving up. They're persisting in their work. Rather than quashing Jeremiah, this resistance seems to have lent new fire to his resolve. He keeps at it. He's not afraid even to confront Jehoiakim specifically. Verse 29, And thou shalt say to Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Thus saith the Lord, Thou hast burned this scroll, saying, Why hast thou written therein? Saying, The king of Babylon shall certainly come and destroy this land, and shall cause to cease from then man and beast. So that's Jehoiakim mocking at the message that's in the book. Therefore thus saith the Lord of, Jeho Lord of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, He shall have none to sit upon the throne of David. And his dead body shall be cast out in the day to the heat, and in the night to the frost. And I will punish him and his seed and his servants for their iniquity. And I will bring upon them and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem and upon the men of Judah all the evil that I have pronounced against them. But they hearken not. 
Now, <coughs> these were words that were probably not actually spoken to Jehoiakim's face since Jeremiah was a wanted man. And yes, God asked for boldness, but he doesn't want stupid servants. All right? So Jeremiah is being bold, but he's not showing up at, at Jehoiakim's door knocking and saying, hey, I've got a message for you. All right? But these are messages that some way or another, God is making sure are getting to Jehoiakim from Jeremiah. And even from afar, these are some gutsy words to speak to a king like Jehoiakim. Basically, he says, none of your kids are ever going to sit on the throne. Your dead body is going to lie out in the open. And you personally are going to experience all the evil that I have prophesied. You know the stuff in the book that you, that you burned? That's going to happen to you. We're not going to look at it tonight, but if you want to read a prophecy that, that's even more striking than this against Jehoiakim, uh, look at Jeremiah 22, verses 13 to 19, uh, and what Jeremiah has to say to Jehoiakim there. It also gives us some more insight into what a terrible person Jehoiakim was. But this is the response that Jeremiah faced. And Jeremiah's response to that response. He was met with rejection, and he met rejection with resolve. And I think that primarily that resolve was fed by his confidence in God. But I think it was also fueled by the presence of a man by his side. For the first time, perhaps, Jeremiah is not alone as he carries out his ministry. Baruch stands beside him, sharing in the ministry and sharing in the pains of rejection. And I think one of the reasons that Jeremiah is able to just come right back and say, we're going to keep this going, is he's got somebody next to him who's right there with him and ready to serve as well. And we're going to talk more in a later lesson about the importance of of friends as we serve the Lord and the importance of friends in the life of Jeremiah and how God used that. But Baruch is a shining example of that. Jeremiah 35 gives us an interesting anecdote. Uh, the events of chapter 35 too happen sometime during Jehoiakim's reign. And there is this family of people. Uh, they're called the Rechabites. And they're all descendants of a guy named Jonadab who was the son of Rechab. Thus they're the Rechabites. Well, God commands Jeremiah to invite this family over to the temple for a drink. He gets things all set out for them. He puts wine out for everyone to drink, and he bids them all sit down and take part. And they reply in verse 6 of Jeremiah 35, We will drink no wine. For Jonadab, the son of Rechab, our father, commanded us, saying, Ye shall drink no wine, neither ye nor your sons forever. Neither shall ye build house, nor sow seed, nor plant vineyard, nor have any. But all your days ye shall dwell in tents, that ye may live many days in the land wherein ye be strangers. Thus have we obeyed the voice of Jonadab, the son of Rechab, our father, in all that he hath charged us, to drink no wine all our days, we, our wives, our sons, nor our daughters, nor to build houses for us to dwell in. Neither have we vineyard, nor field, nor seed, but we have dwelt in tents and have obeyed and done according to all that Jonadab our father commanded us. So Jeremiah has this all set out for them and they say, it's not going to happen. 
this ancestor of ours told us um, that among other things, we're never going to drink wine. And so uh, it doesn't matter how many generations it goes on, we're, we're going to honor the, the wishes of our ancestor and we're not, we're not going to do it. I'm sorry. Well, they leave the wine untouched. And God has a lesson here for his people. He says through Jeremiah in verses 14 and 15, the words of Jonadab the son of Rechab that he commanded his sons not to drink wine are performed. For unto this day they drink none, but obey their father's commandment. Notwithstanding, I have spoken unto you, rising early and speaking, but ye hearkened not unto me. I have sent also unto you all my servants the prophets, rising up early and sending them, saying, Return ye now every man from his evil way, and amend your doings, and go not after other gods to serve them, and ye shall dwell in the land which I have given to you and to your fathers, but ye have not inclined your ear, nor hearkened unto me. So God says, this clan, these Rechabites, who received a seemingly random command from their ancestor, we don't know how many generations back, they're obeying, they're keeping that command faithfully. Their ancestor said, do this, and they're like, okay, you got it, granddaddy Jonadab. But God's sending prophets again and again to speak God's commands to his people, and they will not listen. Eleven times in the book of Jeremiah, we find this image of God. He uses this phrase, rising up early and sending his prophets to challenge his people with his word. And each time we're told that they rejected the message. And so as Jeremiah faces rejection, he is joining a long line of prophets that have been ignored and despised by God's people. It was not ultimately a rejection of Jeremiah, but it was a rejection of God. On January 27, 1986, an engineer named Bob Ebeling went to his manager and warned that the event they had planned for the following day needed to be postponed. He explained there was a certain rubber seal that was part of the structure that he had helped design and it would not properly hold up because of the low temperature that they were expecting. And so because of that, they needed to wait until it was warmer. Others raised the same concern, and they were all ignored. The date for the event had been set, and it was not going to be put off. Cold weather or not, they were moving ahead. So the next day, at 11.38, the world watched as rockets fired to lift the Challenger space shuttle off the ground at Florida's Kennedy Space Center. And 73 seconds later, America gasped in shock and horror as on live TV, they watched the shuttle explode, killing the seven astronauts on board. And Bob Ebeling watched in horror as he saw his prediction come true before his eyes. And that haunted him for the 30 remaining years of his life. He had a hard time not taking the blame for the explosion. He had tried to warn them, but they wouldn't listen. I don't want to be a downer tonight, but when we speak the truth, we will often be rejected. In fact, we've been told to expect rejection. John said in 1 John 3.13, oops, there we go. 
Marvel not, my brethren, if the world hate you. Jesus said in Luke 6, verses 22 and 23, Blessed are ye when men shall hate you, and when they shall separate you from their company, and shall reproach you, and cast out your name as evil for the Son of Man's sake. Rejoice ye in that day, and leap for joy. For behold, your reward is great in heaven. For in like manner did their fathers unto the prophets. He, uh, he said later in John... Uh, he, he said further in John 15, 18 through 20, If the world hate you, ye know that it hated me before it hated you. If ye were of the world, the world would love his own. But because ye are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Remember the word that I said unto you, The servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my saying they will keep yours also. We can expect rejection. We can expect indifference and hatred. These are things that are promised to us. But those promises are not intended to discourage us or to make us give up hope. They're intended to strengthen our resolve and to fortify our dependence on God. And though we will be rejected by many, there are also those who will listen. I promised to tell you about Baruch and what God thought about him. Take a look with me at Jeremiah 45. I'm going to read the whole chapter, but don't worry. There's only five verses in the chapter. <laughs> All right? Jeremiah 45, verse 1. The word that Jeremiah the prophet spake unto Baruch the son of Neriah when he had written these words in a book at the mouth of Jeremiah in the fourth year of Jehoiakim the son of Josiah king of Judah. So these are things that are happening in conjunction with what we talked about earlier. Thus saith the Lord, the God of Israel, unto thee, O Baruch. Thou didst say, Woe is me now, for the Lord hath added grief to my sorrow. I fainted in my sighing, and I find no rest. So God speaks directly to this scribe. Clearly, this was a difficult episode for Baruch. Um, this seems to be his first taste of ministry with Jeremiah. We don't know, but perhaps Jeremiah simply had hired him at first just to record the words that he wanted him to record. But the Lord grew that business relationship into a friendship. And Baruch seems to be wrestling with his place in all of this. Verse 4, Thus shalt thou say unto him, The Lord saith thus, Behold, that which I have built will I break down, and that which I have planted I will pluck up, even this whole land. And seekest thou great things for thyself? Seek them not. For behold, I will bring evil upon all flesh, saith the Lord, but thy life will I give unto thee for a prey in all places whither thou goest. Baruch is instructed here not to seek greatness. It's not hard to imagine him being tempted to separate from Jeremiah in order to achieve greater status. He had a future. He had opportunities. He came from a good family, but if he was going to be accepted, he needed to put some distance between himself and the troublemaking prophet. But God warns him not to seek greatness, but to stay right where he is, and, he, and we'll find that's exactly what he did. He stayed by Jeremiah's side, as far as we can tell, all the way until the end of Jeremiah's ministry. 
we talk about the response to Jeremiah's preaching, and we find that the overwhelming majority would have nothing of his warnings. But there were some who listened. Every so often, there was a Baruch. Faithfulness to God is always worth the struggle, whether or not we see any results. But aren't you glad that God gives us encouragements along the way that our labor is indeed not in vain in the Lord? And God brought Baruch into Jeremiah's life. And God was doing a work in Baruch's life, but I think he was also using Baruch to do a work in Jeremiah's life to encourage him to continue. We won't take time for questions. We're a little bit over. I know we started late. so. Um, but uh, if you do have questions or comments or anything you'd like to share, feel free to reach out to me this week. I um, do want to encourage you to note this week's reading. Uh, Jeremiah 19 through 21, 23 and 24, and 45. Again, we're trying to put things together that are close to each other chronologically as we move through Jeremiah's life. Um, and I want to encourage you, we're at the halfway point. This is lesson 6 of 12. And so I encourage you to take stock of where you're at with the assignments for the class. All right? Don't give up on that. I encourage you to follow through with it. Do the Bible reading. I really think it'll be a help to you, help you get into these passages. Um, make sure you've got everything for that notebook. Whatever you're missing, you can get it online, or I'm happy to get you a paper copy as well. Um, and then... Specifically, I'd encourage you to give some thought to the writing assignment. If you're planning to complete all of the class assignments, I'm going to ask you to give me a rough draft of that essay on March 9th. Okay? Again, like I said before, if you don't want me to see it, that's okay. All right? If it can be a help to you and it stays and you're the only one who ever sees it, that's fine. Um, but if you want to treat this like a class and turn in your assignments, then I'll ask for those rough drafts by, on March 9th, that's week 9, and I'll ask for your final draft on March 23rd, that's week 11. So that gives you three weeks to get that rough draft done. Again, this is very brief, just a really quick sharing a lesson that you've learned. Um, if you need some refreshment on those assignments, take a look at your syllabus, and uh, if you want some, some help, ideas, pointers, please let me know. I'm also interested in your feedback about ways that you may think we could do better about meeting our goals as we move through this class. If there are ways that seems that we're not necessarily staying on track with what, what was, were the stated goals. Um, and also, if there are certain questions you'd like to see answered, material that you'd like to see covered over the next six weeks. Uh, obviously, we don't have time to cover everything in the books of Jeremiah and Lamentations over 12 weeks. But I do want this to be as helpful to you as it can be. And so if there are specific things you're interested about us covering, reach out to me about that. Um, you can see me after class, or you can reach out by phone or email. As we saw illustrated tonight, Jehoiakim definitely showed Jeremiah the most animosity of any of the kings that he had to deal with. Um, but we will find that Zedekiah was his own brand of train wreck. And the rejection of Jeremiah's message and the resistance he would face were far from over. In fact, they'd continue unabated until the end of Jeremiah's ministry. Next week, we're going to consider more of the response that Jeremiah faced and how things got very real and got dangerous for Jeremiah. We're going to look at 
some of what it cost Jeremiah to continue as a faithful servant of God. Let's pray, and we'll be dismissed. Father, thank you for the story we've been able to look at in your word tonight. It is an encouraging story, even though it shows so much disdain and so much rejection of your word. It's encouraging because we see people faithfully doing what you want them to do, even in the face of that kind of resistance. And Lord, we are challenged by that example. I pray that you would help us to have a resolve like Jeremiah's because of our complete dependence upon you. And Father, I pray that you would help us to be like Baruch, that we would come alongside others and strengthen and help them in the work that they're doing for the Lord, that we as Christians would be alongside each other, pushing each other ever forward and keeping each other accountable and helping each other to to serve you with all of our hearts. And uh, Father, we want to be faithful. There are so many aspects of our ministry for you, of our service for you, that we cannot control. But by your grace, we can be faithful. And I pray that you would help us to do that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God, or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, you can visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org or call us at 757-488-3241. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened, and we want to encourage you to share this message with others. May the truth of God's word be your guide as you strive to follow Christ and make him known to others.